Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hello, creatives. Welcome back to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. Before we dive into our episode today, I want to talk about a new opportunity that we are launching for artists, makers, product-based businesses, and service-based businesses for Mother's Day. We have had such success with our holiday gift guide from both sides of the aisle, both sides of the aisle. We're now Congress, but from both small business lovers and small businesses. And so we wanted to do something fun and shoppable and exciting for Mother's Day as well, because we want as small business lovers to A, get something amazing for your mother-like figures in your life, and B, support the small business community. And then as small businesses, if we have that perfect Mother's Day gift, we want to get it in front of those small business lovers. So introducing our Mother's Day gift guide will be live on our site from April 24th to May 22nd. So shoppers will have plenty of time to shop the amazing small businesses on the guide in time for Mother's Day. And you can be featured in the guide. It's $50 investment. You need to fill out the form now that closes April 17th. So it's quick. Get your app in right now. And actually, it's not quite our traditional app because we want everyone to be in it. So you go ahead and fill out the form and we'll get you up in our Mother's Day gift guide. Feel free to reach out with any questions, but you can get more information at girlgangcraft.com slash Mother's Day. Again, that's girlgangcraft.com slash Mother's Day. Get that form filled out by April 17th, and it'll be live on our site from April 24th to May 22nd. Have you heard? We have a new location, y'all. GGC will be in Rhode Island December 10th. We are so excited to be at a new venue in a new state, in a new city. So apps are open now for you to apply for our December Rhode Island event. You have a little bit of time to get that in. We're going to focus on our spring summer events first, but we wanted to get that information out to you. We are having, we do want to tell you a couple things. So both our holiday shows on the East Coast, Rhode Island and Salem, will be ticketed events. So I just want to give you all a heads up for that. It'll be $5 to enter. This is just so we can keep track of people a little bit more and continue to raise money for our scholarship fund. Everyone who attends will get a $5 ticket, and that will also be able to be eligible for the raffle. So I know we always offer the raffle at the front. You will automatically get enrolled in the raffle. You'll get a raffle ticket. So wanted to give you a heads up there. Again, that's just our East Coast events for holidays. So our indoor holiday events, Oakland will stay a free event. 
apps close really soon for Oakland. So this podcast releases April 13th. So tomorrow, April 14th, our apps close for our Oakland May event. So if you want to vend, make sure you get that information filled out right now, ASAP, get it in. And then you have a couple more weeks for our Salem events, our June and July events. Apps close April 28th for those. So if you know you want to do all of our events for the whole year, go ahead and get all those apps in now for all locations, Salem, Oakland, and Rhode Island. Today, we have Skylar Mapes on the podcast with us, and she is the owner and founder of a very cool olive oil company, and she's going to tell us all about it. And we first got connected in around 2018 when she did a couple of our GGC markets in Oakland, and we stayed connected, and I'm so happy to have you here. So thanks for being here, Skylar. Thanks for having me. Tell us about who you are and what you do and this olive oil company that you have. Yeah. So I'm a co-founder of XL Olive Oil, and we specialize in producing high-quality Italian extra virgin olive oil. We are olive farmers and also olive oil producers. And in addition to that, I'm the co-author of The Olive Oil Enthusiast, which is coming out August 2023. It's a book that I wrote with my business partner and my husband, Giuseppe Morisani, And it's all about olive oil. So everything that we would want our customers and clients to know if we were doing a private tasting, everything we want them to know. And then also helping consumers really understand the hidden world of olive oil, because there's a lot of kind of like smokes and mirrors, a lot of misinformation out there. And we just want to get through that. We want to cut through it and get people the right information. And I also have recipes. So (laughs) I love it. Congratulations on your new book. That's so exciting. Thank you. Okay. So the underworld of olive oil, I want to hear about it. I guess my first question is, can you tell us the difference between like virgin olive oil and extra virgin olive oil and like extra, extra? (laughs) Okay. So there's different, I guess you could consider it different levels of olive oil. So you have ordinary olive oil, virgin olive oil, and then extra virgin olive oil. And there's a couple different things that go into producing each quality. So extra virgin olive oil is the highest quality product. And you have a regular extra virgin olive oil that you'd get like off a grocery store shelf. And then you have specialty extra virgin olive oil, which is the category that XL falls in and is a very limited product. So the harvest years are very, very limited. The quantities are very limited. In order for a product to even be considered extra virgin, The olives must be picked fresh off the tree. They cannot be contaminated with touching the soil. They must be harvested within a certain period of time. So for us, we harvest within seven hours. Other people harvest within 20 hours. It's personal preference. And then they have to meet certain chemical parameters. So having a free fatty acid below 0.8%, peroxide level below 20, and then have to have be free of sensory defects. So when you taste the olive oil, it is reminiscent of food or things or scents that you enjoy. This is not just grassy. I think a lot of people, when they think of high quality extra virgin olive oil, they're like, it's green and grassy. This can be like jasmine, cinnamon, orange. It runs a gamut, just depending on the cultivar of the olive. It's very much like the wine world. You just don't want it to smell like mold or like an old gym sock. (laughs) Nothing undesirable. Because those are defects. 
So that's extra virgin olive oil. And then virgin olive oil is actually not a very commonly produced product. The acidity, the free fatty acid for that product is higher and the production methods are not quite as like stringent as making a high quality extra virgin olive oil. And then for ordinary olive oil, they might use olives that have been harvested from the ground. Like they might've been contaminated by soil and that product is, so they harp, they mill the olives, they create olive oil, and then it has a higher FFA. And in order to make it more palatable for people, they might mix in some virgin or some extra virgin olive oil between five to 10 or 15%. And then they heat it up to make it have a universal taste. And then that's what you're getting on the grocery store shelves. So it's very, (laughs) there's a lot that goes into it. It's kind of like okay. mass producing an oil that will suit the needs and the palates of many people. Fascinating. And are there different burn times? Is that a thing? Or not times or like temperatures? Yeah. 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 So for, and this is a, such a complicated thing because We're just it depends <laughs> on the free fatty acid. So the lower the free fatty acid is, the higher the smoke point is, if that makes sense. But olive oil, like ordinary olive oil, because it's already been heat, it's already been heated up and homogenized to, so like I guess cooked in a way. It also has a very high smoke point. So if you're doing frying, like I just we just wrote a, a piece on our website about fry. Can you fry chicken in olive oil? And you can. You could do it in ordinary or virgin olive oil if you want to do a shallow pan fry. And the smoke point for that would be 410 degrees Fahrenheit. But also like. When we think about these things and we think about smoke point, we have to realize the people that are doing these tests are doing it in a controlled environment, the scientists, and they're bringing the product up. They're boiling it. They're bringing it up to the the olive oil to a certain temperature and they're doing flex tests. So when you're at home cooking your food, you're not like boiling olive oil casually on a Tuesday night. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to be bringing the product up to such a high temperature that it's smoking, or at least you shouldn't be because you're, if you're cooking on medium or medium high, the oil is not going to get to 410. Even if you have your oven at 410 degrees, the food's not getting to 410 degrees. That's the temperature of the oven, not the actual food. And I think people get confused with that. So like what kind of olive oil should we use if we're just like stir frying some vegetables, for instance? You can use extra virgin or ordinary. Okay. As like, yeah, as long as you're not like cooking in a wok on extremely, extremely high heat, you can use ordinary olive oil or extra virgin olive oil for cooking. Okay. Fascinating. I mean, I know we could talk about the olive oil the whole time and we will, it'll be woven in, but this is an entrepreneurial podcast instead of just a cooking learn about olive oil podcast, but we're going to dive into it all. So let's backtrack and like, how on earth did you get into the world of olive oil? Not on purpose. That's for sure. It wasn't in your five-year plan or your your 15-year plan when you were young. I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I actually went to architecture school. So I have a degree in architecture and I was supposed to go down the design track. And I was like, I was getting my hours in, I was doing NCARB. I was on my road to become a licensed architect in the state of California. 
but I was not happy with the work I was doing in the design industry. It was very limiting. I didn't really enjoy the people I was working for or working with. And I realized that I actually kind of wanted to be on the other side of the table. I'm like, I don't really think, I think I want to be a client. Like that sounds so much nicer. <laughs> and at being an architect, I was never going to be the client. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe I start exploring other avenues. And Giuseppe at the time, he moved to the, well, we met in Rome back in 2014. He moved to the U.S. We were living in the Bay Area and he was going through a grocery problem? store in the Bay what? Were Sorry. you traveling in Rome and that's how you met him? I was interning in Barcelona and then I flew to Rome for the weekend with my girlfriend and I met him the second night there. So serendipitous. It was crazy. And yeah, then we got married like two years after that. So, you know, if you have a chance to go to Rome, I say do it. You never know what's going to happen. You might end up meeting your husband or your wife. <laughs> but Giuseppe was in the Bay Area looking at olive oils on the grocery shelf and he didn't see any Calabrian olive oils. It there was oil from Tuscany, Sicily, a lot of like the bigger Italian names that are more common in the US, but no oils from Calabria. And it's weird because Calabria is the second largest producer of olive oil in Italy and they're also like an agriculture powerhouse. So why isn't there any olive oil? from there. And so he suggested we start an olive oil company. I said, hell no. But obviously <laughs> not what happened. A couple of years after that, we moved to his hometown of La Castella, Calabria, and got to work starting an olive oil company. So he didn't have a background in this? He did. His family's been producing olive oil for almost 100 years. His grandpa did it at a commercial level and personal level. So mostly personal though, because here in Southern Italy, having land, like having olive trees, having vineyards is seen as like a personal right for many people. It's their campagna, it's their, it's their property and they grow a lot of their own food. So his grandfather, they had their own olive trees and so they made their own olive oil and he would sell any excess. And then Giuseppe's parents they also started making olive oil in order to continue that tradition and to have olive oil because it's such a huge part of cooking, like it's Southern Italian cuisine. And then they would sell excess product. And then we decided to basically rehab the trees on the family properties to get the production levels up and then actually sell the product, like package it, sell it, and hope people love it. And so what did those like beginning days of your company look like? They, I was thinking about this the other day, like we were crazy. Like we were insane. And what, what year was that? This was in 2017. Okay. I can't even, like if I knew what I knew now, I would be terrified for myself. I'd be like, good luck. Thank God. Ignorance is truly so bliss. Like, do not think too much. <laughs> you will get scared. But looking back, we just wanted to create something beautiful and share it with people. And we were not 100% sure how that was going to happen. Like, we knew we wanted to do in-person shows to sell the product. We knew we had, the product had to be very high quality. We knew what we wanted it to feel like. Exile had, from the very beginning 
a soul, I guess you could say. There was emotion around it. There was this, it felt like this thing, like this, like a living being almost of like, we want every single person to have a little piece of Calabria in their kitchen and feel like they can make the most delicious things with just olive oil and whatever ingredient they're using. And that should be the end of it. Like whether it's bread or eggs or just eggplants, like that's enough. And I think from the very beginning, like having that be such a strong vision really helped to carry us and get over the initial hurdles of like, how are we going to sell this? Who are we going to sell it to? And after that, once we kind of like had that figured out, we started to dive into the education piece. How are we going to educate consumers? Because there's so much misinformation about olive oil and people see it as this very like, it's a very clear direct product but it actually is not. There's a lot of nuance to it. It is complicated and it's a fat. So it doesn't technically go bad, but it does get rancid, which is so different than wine. But people treat olive oil and wine like similar products, but they're not. So what was like a major hurdle for you to like get this into hands or get this into stores? What was sort of What did you have to overcome to get to that space? Okay, so initially, we didn't have a name for it for forever. We were like, what are we going to name this? And I'm like, I don't want to really put my name on it. I don't want you to put your name on it. Because we don't want it to, like, be owned by... Like, putting your name on something is, like, such a big... I don't know. I just think about Bobby Brown's story, and I'm like, I'm not putting my name on anything. So that was very challenging. But Giuseppe, really late one night while I was writing pieces for our blog, he was like, what about ex albus ulivis? And I'm like, you cannot put that on a label. Americans are never going to say that. They're going to be like, why don't you go get that ex albus ulivis olive oil from the grocery store? No. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, if- we can shorten it. He, can, he said, we can shorten it to ex al. And ex albus ulivis means olives harvested white. But it means the correct translation is like olives harvested young, olives harvested green. And we harvest our olives when they're still green because it creates the best quality oil. So that is what the name means. But shortened to XL was perfect. And with a little trademark search was available. The website was available. XL Olive was available. And I was like, cool. Purchase. We have a name. Are you trademarked in both the U.S. and Italy? We're trademarked in the U.S. Yeah. So, and then what? How did you get this bottle into people's hands? What was your strategy? So, first off, the labels were actually, like, trash the first two years. It felt like they were, like, printed off somebody's printer. Like, we had some that were scratched when they arrived in the U.S. because they were rubbing off on, like, the internal inserts. So, but that's not something you can like test for unless you put a case of oil in your car and you drive around for like a month. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're not going to find that out too. Cause they've been rubbing for weeks. It's not like it rubs, like it just rubs off in a day. It rubs off in a matter of weeks. So that was the first hurdle. We're like, damn it. Sometimes the labels are damaged. And so that 
we had to make updates to the labels. We didn't know where we could get labels from and also like how much we were going to scale and what investment we were going to make into our labels. So that was a huge hurdle. And then also finding boxes, like finding vendors, I would have to say was actually harder than selling the product itself, especially in a place like Southern Italy, where people are notoriously suspicious of outsiders. We had to basically beg our box manufacturer to make our boxes for us. And we had to go back there three times. And eventually, once I told them that we are like selling our product in California at the time, they were like, you're selling in California. Oh my gosh. Okay. Your boxes will be done in three weeks. And then we have been stuck with each other ever since and they love us. So that was definitely challenging. We ended up eventually finding a label company and we only work with small family owned businesses. So that has been a journey, but it worked out very nicely. I'm so happy with our labels and our boxes now. But as far as like selling in the US, we went in with knowing nobody knows who we are. And the only way for people, no one, like no retailers were willing to work with us. We tried to sell wholesale. Nobody wanted to work with us. And so it was like, you know what? If our margin is already going to be so low selling to wholesale accounts, why don't we just sell it ourselves and see who wants it? And so that's what we did. We literally sold my mom's mom's a nurse and she worked in Oakland for years. And she was like, you need to come to the nurses, like the break room at Highland Hospital and bring a ton of cases of oil because the nurses want a tasting. And I grew up at Highland Hospital because my mom worked there for years. So we pull up in the parking lot, go into the nurses lounge. We do a full tasting. Their nurses are wild. I love them. They're just coming in and out, in and out, in and out of the break room, doing tasting. Get me a bottle. I'll Venmo you. Get me this. Get me that. Okay, I'll take a case. They're giving us like the keys of their cars. Like I'm parked on level three. It's a <laughs> put it in the back of my car. <laughs> that is really how we got started. And of course, events like yours. And what was that event in Oakland? Good Eats or like the Eat, the one in Jacqueline Square, the food mm-hmm. event. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Yeah. Fascinating. So are you still doing events like that? What does your business look like today? Oh my gosh. So we were doing in-person events until 2019. And I think that's the last time we were actually with Girl Gang Craft. We went back to Italy for harvest and that in the fall, harvest is always in the fall. And then we came back to the US and then in early 2020, we moved to Austin and we knew we knew like mid 2019, okay, at the end of the year, we're going to move to Austin. And the reason we did that is just because California, as much as I adore my home state, it is just hostile. <laughs> That's the right word. It is hostile for small businesses and does not give them the space or the financial breaks they need in order to truly grow and be their full selves. I'm also talking about that 800 per year LLC fee. Like that needs to go in the garbage. (laughs) Anyways, that's a conversation for another day. But we decided to move to Austin because they have a bunch of- They have a California government. Is that going to be off the table anytime soon? (laughs) Yeah, they need to trash that. And also like under a certain amount, no taxes, no state taxes. So we ended up moving to Austin 
like loving Austin, but of course, right after we moved, COVID. And so all of our events that we had set up to apply to, that we had applied to, we either got refunds for them or credits for those events. And we couldn't work a single in-person event and we just had moved to a new city. So like, what am I going to do? How am I going to rebuild a community? But, but everyone was online. And so we started to really build out our online presence, our social media, and just amped up everything a hundred, actually like 200%. (laughs) And I was online. I was on Instagram all day long in from like March, 2020 to October, 2020 nonstop. And we, I think in like April is when we started to get our first bit of press. And then we were in Allison Roman's newsletter. And then I started talking about how there's not a lot of like black women that work in olive oil. This industry has been very homogenous for a long time. There's not a lot of women in general, but there's definitely not a lot of people of color that work in olive oil. It's just, you don't see it a lot, especially as like a founder, as an owner. There's so many layers to that that we can dive into later if you want to. But I wanted to share and like talk about my experience doing that, owning, actually like owning property and being responsible for the lives hundreds of olive trees and what the experience has been being an olive producer, olive oil producer. And that was the journey I shared in 2020. And a lot of people loved it and resonated with it. And so our e-commerce and our subscription, because we still have our membership club, that skyrocketed. And we basically quadrupled our club members. Actually, no, it was more like eight times our club members in a matter of like four months. And that's something that's important because obviously you need like regular, consistent streams of revenue when you have an e-commerce business because you just don't know where things are going to go. And especially with what we're seeing with the ban of TikTok and potential ban and how things are going with social media, I am not going to be tied to anyone. I'm not loyal. I am not loyal. (laughs) I will can you in a second. I will leave. I'm not loyal. Wait, okay. Was the membership something you had before COVID times? Yeah. And the crazy thing is we started it in like 2019, like December 20 or November 2019, we started it. And then six months later, it was like a humongous, way bigger part of our business than we ever thought it would be. So people can buy individual bottles from your website currently, but then they can also sign up for this membership. Yes. And then are you in stores as well? Are you doing a wholesale now? So then it just was such a crazy full circle moment. We sold out of our oil early and we had a bunch of wholesale requests and eventually had to basically bring in more oil in order to fulfill, meet some of the needs of our wholesale clients potential wholesale clients, and then also do Oprah's favorite things. But we told most of the wholesale people, like, we cannot do anything with you until 2021 because we didn't have the product to do it. So, okay, this press, was this organic or do you have a PR agency or a combination? Tell us a little bit about your press game. So we had a publicist who was 
an absolute badass. Her name is Dara Avenius, and she's based out of Florida and is amazing. And she helped us get so much press. And I feel like I went through PR boot camp in 2020 because I was on calls at least twice a week with todayshow.com, Food and Wine, La Cucina Italiana, like so many, so many magazines, so many publications. And it prepared me to basically do as much public speaking as humanly, like it prepared me for public speaking. In addition to that, once we got into one or two publications, it just snowballed. We have not, and I'm very proud to say this, we have never paid for media to be included in media. And we have never contributed, like done affiliates, links or anything with media. So they've never gained anything by including us or featuring us. It's always been, Exile has always been a product that if you see us in the New York Times, if you see us in the strategist, if you see us in whatever platform, they're not getting, like we're not paying them for that. They're doing it just because they enjoy our product. We sent them samples. They liked it. They liked the brand story or I spoke with them and they thought it was, they found something that they resonated with and they want to include it in their publication. So what do you say to people just starting out as small business owners who like having a publicist is sometimes expensive, right? <laughs> like what was that investment like for you? And what is, obviously it paid off for you. So I don't know, any advice surrounding getting press, working with a publicist? So getting a publicist, if you're going to make that investment, you need to know exactly what you want out of it. And I mean, you need to make a fat ass list. I want backlinks. I want to be able to put this on my website. I want to be able to bring it to investors. Why do you want it? If you just want it just to feed your ego, that's really not a good enough reason. You need to have very like exact reasons why you want that press. Because to be honest with you, there's so many incredible brands that are selling a ton of stuff and making really good money without being in those publications, especially today with platforms like TikTok going viral. You don't have to be in these publications anymore. And I think that's really scary for them. So that is something to consider. Do you have to do it? Are there other ways to get the exposure you want to? And being in these huge publications does not guarantee sales. You will get clout, but clout does not always guarantee sales. And especially longevity of sales, right? Maybe it's a exactly. quick start. But... Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Fascinating. So, but you would do it again, over again for yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, it helped us to position us exactly where I wanted to be. And especially after Oprah's favorite things and then being on Forbes and Forbes 30 under 30 and all the relationships I now have with journalists and not being scared to talk to them. Because that's another thing. People kind of get intimidated by members of the press, which I think is really funny because like, they're just people at the end of the day. They really are like... It's not, even if you talk to someone at like who, a journalist at CNN, like, yes, it's such, it's a big thing, but at the end of the day, like they're just people too. 
and they want to hear your story. And I think that if you are also going to try and get press for your brand, you need to have your story very tightly buttoned up and be extremely confident in what you are and what you aren't and where you're going, where you're not going, what you're doing, what you're not doing, and be as clear as possible. And don't be afraid to say exactly what's on your mind or be like, that doesn't sit well with me because nobody wants, like journalists don't want to talk to someone who's just agreeable all the time. It's not, it doesn't make a good story. And who's going to click on that? Like, is your story clickable also, you know? Is your story clickable? Exactly. Would that be be the episode title? Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So do you still work with a publicist or did you sort of like invest time and you've moved on? We moved on in like 2021 and then the press kept rolling from there. And then again, like I developed relationships with a lot of people that work in journalism. So now if I need something or want something or think I have a good story to pitch, I have a network I can reach out to. But still we get, like we were just in, I don't remember, like we were on a website earlier this year. I don't remember who it was, but we were on a website. Oh, Forbes. We were in Forbes again this year. And then a couple days ago, we were on extratv.com, which was great because we contributed product to be part of the Mark Twain Awards. And Adam Sandler was the recipient for this year. So like those bottles all went out to celebrities. And now we were featured on extratv.com. So that's amazing exposure, but I'm not expecting like a thousand orders from that. So what does your marketing strategy look like today? I am moving away from social media. Ever since we've written our book, or I guess we took two years to write our book, and it pulled us away from doing certain things that I wish we had spent the time and energy investing in. But it also created, we obviously wrote a book, but it also It allowed me to create space to realize that like what I am good at and what I want to do is directly connect with people through our newsletter and potentially through either like a podcast or something in that world. I'm not, I don't want to spend all day on social media. I'm really not interested in making video content all the time. It doesn't interest me. I get bored. I get over it very quickly. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. But I love writing. We love your videos. (laughs) Thank you. But I'm like, I'm tired. I want to write. I want to write my little newsletter. I want to send people love letters. That's what I want to do. I enjoy it. And it helps me practice and craft my writing because I do eventually want to write another book. So our marketing strategy right now is really kind of like, We're cutting off, we've already been pretty slim for a long time, but we're very much cutting off like every form of communication to our customers that is not efficient and is not very helpful and making sure that we're just driving as much traffic as humanly possible to our website and then putting all of our time and energy into our newsletter and social media is coming after that. So who's on your team? Is it just you two? Tell us about your team. It is just me and Giuseppe. Dream team. We do work with like, if we need things done, we obviously have our, what are they called? Contractors. Contractors. Thank you. (laughs) 
We have really good, a handful of contractors that we work with when we need specific things done. But when it comes to technicalities, especially with olive oil, it's either me or Giuseppe writing it because it is a topic that is, you can't hand it off to somebody. You can't because they'll go research it and you're like, oh, here we go. Tell us about the bottle shortage. Okay. So that ruined my life for a good, like, six to nine months, there was a sand shortage in Europe, which led to a glass shortage. And obviously without sand, you can't make glass. And on top of the glass shortage, this company bought a lot of the resellers in Europe. And they did not place orders for certain bottle types, specialty bottle types to go into production. And our bottle type was fell into like a specialty bottle type. And so it wasn't put into production. And so they were like, sorry, we're not making this bottle anymore. We don't know when it's going to be available again. And we started searching almost a year ago for our bottles. And so it finally got down to the wire and we're like, what are we going to do? We have to bottle. We don't have bottles. Like we don't have our bottles. What are we going to do? And it was like, we talked to one of our vendors again, and they were like, Skylar, we have searched everywhere for you you have to change your bottle. We're really sorry, but this is the reality of the situation. And I broke down. I cried. I was very upset because I'm attached to our bottle type, our original bottle and the original label because I designed it. That has been XL for me for the past six years. But it got to the point where it's like, we have to face reality and get a different bottle and we have to do a mini rebrand. And so that's what we did. We got another bottle that is much more like readily available. And so there's not going to be a shortage of it again because it's more generic. And we had new labels made. And it was hard, a very challenging process because, again, like I made those original labels. So when we, the illustrator for our book, who's so freaking talented, she's an incredible illustrator we asked her to create certain aspects, illustrations for our label. And she did, and they were beautiful. And there you'll see shortly what the labels actually look like. So we did include her artwork, but it was challenging for me to do that because it was kind of a hit to my ego. Like I'm bringing somebody else in, I'm bringing somebody else's design work. I really want to do it myself, which is so toxic. Like I can't do everything myself, obviously, 100% all the time. I cannot. But it like hurt my feelings, you know? I'm like, there's someone else here doing this and I wanted to do it. But now that we're bottling and I'm looking at the labels, they're beautiful. And it was definitely the right decision to make that switch and to update the labels. And I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of her work. And everyone, like our label guys helping us work everything out. It just, I couldn't ask for a better end result. What a lesson. It's hard. It's hard to hand over things to to other people when you want to do it yourself. And your ego. Like, that is tough. Yeah. So what is next? for y'all so next for us obviously showing the world our new bottles and labels that's like step one of what's next and hoping people love them 
And then our book comes out later this year. And that is what we have for the rest of the year. I mean, we do have exciting partnerships. We do have exciting things coming to our newsletter. But yeah, we're just really focusing on newsletter, providing people with great content. We launched a paid version, which has more recipes and also is a really good way to diversify your income stream. So we're on Substack, which is actually kind of weird for brand to do because you see brands going towards like Clavio or only being on Flowdesk. But Exile is not just a brand that wants to scale just for the sake of scaling. And so for us, it's like we want to own, okay, maintain ownership, make it feel like we're very much maintaining ownership of all of the, I don't know, communication of our brand to consumers and then provide the hardcore fans, the people that are just, they ride for XL and they want more of XL. We provide them with content that's more private, more intimate, that is more exclusive. We're getting paid for our time and energy that we're putting into creating certain recipes. Cause that's another thing. It's that like building out recipes is very time consuming. And while it's great, for to put some recipes on our website, there's certain things that I'm like, I need to get paid for this. And if I am not going to put it into my next book, then I can share it with this group of people who I know are truly going to appreciate it and they are paying for it. So that's what we're doing right now. Oh, and then I forgot, I for this is what's next. Hello, we're doing travel planning for Calabria and we just wrapped up working with our first client which I'm really excited about. So there will be coming to Calabria and exploring Reggio Calabria and having an amazing trip. And I have so many new restaurants I have to go to. Sign me and up. try. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all tied together, right? Like this is going to the restaurants, exploring these new places, the travel planning, also putting this content into the exclusive newsletter. Like it's all tied together. But this is, it's content and information that I want to only give to people that are going to pay because I can't keep going to like, I don't know, a two hour drive away to go try a new restaurant just to give it away on online for free. And people might call that gatekeeping. And I'm like, I call it gas money. So <laughs> gatekeeping versus gas money. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting my time and energy into really curating wonderful and delicious things and finding incredible experiences for people. And if they find that valuable, they do. And if they don't, then they don't. What is your favorite thing to cook with your olive oil? Oh my God, that's not fair. Okay, there's a couple things. So recently we've been cooking steak over the fireplace, which is nice because then it doesn't stink up the house but also we've been doing it in a cast iron skillet. So we get the hot coals, we put the cast iron skillet on, and then we do half butter, half olive oil. Whoever said the two cannot coexist, you know what? I'm not talking to you right now. So you put those two <laughs> in the pan, you put the steak in, and it just, with, of course, rosemary or sage, whatever herb, some smashed garlic, and it's perfect because the fats play so well together. And the, the flavors develop perfectly 
And so that is one of my top favorite things to make with olive oil. I also love popcorn, which the recipe is going to be in our book, and then olive oil brownies, which that recipe is also going to be in our book. And then tomato sauce, obviously. And it's, I mean, it's cold weather right now. It's not tomato season. But if you have jarred tomato sauce, you can do our pasta pomodoro 2.0 recipe, where basically you emulsify the tomato sauce. And it emulsifies with the olive oil and the roasted garlic and the basil, which you can use dried. And it thickens so nicely. And you could literally use it as either tomato sauce or a base for a soup or a sauce and like a lasagna. It's so good and perfect. And so that's why I love mm-hmm. olive oil. I'm hungry. <laughs> because it's also for skincare, like for removing makeup, mm. it's the best. It's so good for you. So do you just like keep a bottle in your bathroom? Then? Yeah. It's cheaper. People are like, oh my gosh, you're going to waste so much like expensive olive oil in your bath. Ma'am, you're spending $60 on face cream and one of those tiny ass jars. Like, would no. You can spend $30 on a big old bottle of olive oil, keep it in your bathroom, use it for skincare, rub it on your skin, do a face mask. You can get some sugar and do like a sugar scrub mixed with the olive oil, makeup remover. There's so, like, it's endless. And it's more affordable. So where can people buy your olive oil and check out your book? Okay. So you can get olive oil on xaoliveoil.com. So it's E-X-A-U, oliveoil.com. And then there's also, if you scroll down or you look at our, on the top of our website, it, you can also see our book. You click that tab and then you can purchase the book directly or it takes you to a different tab on our website or just Google the olive oil enthusiast and you'll see our book. It has a beautiful cover. Penguin Random House has it on their website, Amazon. There's so many platforms, Barnes and Nobles. Thank you so much, Skylar, for coming on and telling us about the joy of olive oil. And I hope everyone goes and follows you and checks out your olive oil. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.